I've had to shift my perspective a bit and view raising Lucas as holy work. The holiest work that I can do this side of eternity is caring for somebody who would not be alive without other people caring for him. Hi there, it's Jessica Pate, and welcome, brave friends, to episode 82. I am one that fully believes that gratitude is our weapon of warfare amidst chronic hardship. And I also believe that practicing gratitude does not mean we cannot talk about the extreme suffering or pain that we go through as caregivers or the medical or psychological suffering that our children go through. If you are not a parent to a child with a disability or unique needs, but perhaps you love someone who does, I thank you dearly for listening in. We talk a lot on the podcast about perspective, about how to zoom out and think about love for the long haul, about community and about how to take a care of our mama hearts. But what about the really, really bad days when, frankly, you don't want to hear any of the usual comforting words, when truisms and platitudes do more harm than good? What about the days you need to grieve? Recently, with Ryan, he showed such a sweet innocence, such a childlikeness, and it was, it was so pure. At the same time, it hit the grief buttons because I was so fully aware of his very low cognitive level with this particular conversation that we were having. And it does hit the grief buttons, and it does make you sad as a mom because you want so much for your child. And I know with Ryan, his cognitive struggles do impact his anxiety and increase his anxiety at times when he can't understand things. And then it gets really awful when I let his anxiety trigger my anxiety. And then I am not Zen mom and I'm not calm mom, but I'm riding the roller coaster with him. And then I just feel horrible. I have a mom hangover where I feel guilty because I I let the worst of me come out And then you just have to let it go and start anew and apologize and hope for a new day. It's going to get raw and real as you listen to Jess Ronnie's story and our conversation. Well, actually, Jess wrote a poem entitled, It Is Not a Gift. Jess Ronnie is a writer and a speaker and a podcaster and a major truth teller. Jess has eight children and her son Lucas is diagnosed with profound autism and he's 17 years old. It is my hope that We Are Brave is a place of safety for true frustration and grief and defiant hope. Today, let Jess's beautiful, raw and honest words be a cry of catharsis for you, for your partner, for your family, if you want to share this maybe with some older siblings, or for a friend of yours. This is not a gift. The thrashing, slashing, high-pitched screams, the inability to regulate the nightmarish dreams. This is not a gift. The sensory seeking and constant smears, the messes and elopement 
amidst many jeers. This is not a gift. The anxiety to a hilt, the flapping hands and banging head, the thoughts laced constantly with guilt. This is not a gift. The nonverbal guessing game, a game we play because we must, but frustrating all the same. This is not a gift. The hours making calls, the sleepless nights and haunting tales, the writing on the walls. This is not a gift. Fighting tooth and nail for every damn experience that might just help my kid prevail. This is not a gift. The dollars always spent on life-saving meds and tall safety beds, which often deter paying rent. This is not a gift. Caregiver fight or flight. The isolation and heart palpitations, the harrowing screams through the night. This is not a gift. Constant PTSD, the tears and desperate pleas for anyone to please see me. This is not a gift, this version of the bow, the red and yellow, black and blue, the constant stress and woe. This part is not a gift, but other parts, they sure are great, like patience learned and kindness too, towards those who are different than me and than you. And the breakthrough moments that make us smile, those moments achieved when we walk the extra mile. And when he cups my face and softly sings to me, and waves his head so gently to the sweet, sweet melody. The winds that come with pain, they make it more worthwhile. But truth be told and tell the truth, I will not spread beguile. This life is hard for me and him, the losses piled high. We hold on tight to faith and hope until the day we die. Hope that those who follow us will learn and love and prosper because we used our time to teach and never lost our luster. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be with you again. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me again. How's Michigan life? Because I think when I spoke to you the first time on our podcast, and maybe when I was on your podcast, you were still in Tennessee. Yeah, it's good. I love it. I love the snow. I'm out walking every day. Um, we've had tons of sunshine, which I love. Oh, I'm so glad for you. I'm so glad. So let's jump into your piece, which struck me. I just want to say up front, thank you so, so much for being a truth teller and being such an advocate for our, our crazy world that we live in, Jess. Yeah. Well, thank you. And to you as well. Um, I love joining hands with women like you. And I think the more ideas we can get out there, you know, the faster we're going to change the world. So let's do it. (laughs) Yes. So Jess, you have said that this is your most controversial piece. Why, or what has been the response? Um, I think it's just the rawness of the piece. There was sort of some backlash when I was saying this is not a gift in reference to profound autism, which is now a politically correct term, thankfully, because I've always advocated for a different term for the type of autism that I'm raising. It's very different than what you see like on Netflix or shows when you have self-harming and aggression and screaming and nonverbal and total care for the rest of his life. And so that's where that poem came from. This is not a gift, you know, the, the thrashing and the self-harming and any caregiver who saw that as a gift, I think 
need to be communicated with because I, I don't think there's anybody out there that would see those behaviors as gifts is what I'm trying to say. But there are gifts in this journey as well. So sort of flipping the narrative towards the end of it. Um, there are so many things that this journey teaches you. And my whole life's work now revolves around, you know, being a caregiver. And I would have never, you know, organically fallen into this world without caring for my son who will require total care for the rest of his life. Right. And I think even though it's nice that you, you flip it at the end to talk about that there can be gifts, there are gifts saying it's not a gift is giving permission for other moms in extreme caregiving situations that are so taxing and exhausting and heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to watch your child self-harm and to not be able to communicate what they need in the way that we want them to be able to communicate or the way they want to be able to communicate it. So you're giving permission, Jess, to other moms to just say things out loud. Yeah. As women who are raising these children begin to speak up, it does become like a cacophony where the world does look at us online and in our blogs and in our books and all this content that we're putting out and they look at us and say, oh, she said that, I guess maybe it's okay for me to also say that. I truly believe that when we begin to speak our truth is when we'll get the resources and support that we need through society. And if we stay silent, stay hidden and exhausted behind our closed doors, because it is really difficult to get out into society with our lives, with these children, we will never see change. And it's only going to come through us speaking our truth. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that is my hope with all the moms out there and dads who are raising their voice and really giving true glimpses into caregiving in the whole world of disability or, or even in the world of, of mental health, because that's a whole nother type of caregiving as well. And we need to shed light on that. Yeah. And the caregivers are just as important as the children because they're not healthy. The child's not going to be healthy. Why do you think people are so quick to ignore pain? You're bringing the pain to the forefront with your writing, with your speaking, with your podcast, with your caregiver documentary, which we will talk about. Why do you think people are so quick to ignore pain and why people take offense at, at talking about it? It's two questions, I guess. Yeah. When you put something in front of people's faces and you sort of peel back the curtain, you know, they have, they have a choice to make. Am I going to ignore this person or am I going to move forward and try to support or help this person in this journey somehow? And I don't know if your listeners know, but I also lost my first husband to brain cancer. And that was a three-year journey and people were so eager to help. I mean, I didn't cook for a year. I hardly lifted a finger outside of like caring for my children and my husband for three years while he went through that. And I think because people knew there was an end date, <laughs> I mean, as I don't know, that might not sound right, but like there was an end date in sight. And so with Lucas, who will, who's basically like terminal for his whole life. I mean, that was his diagnosis at birth that he probably wouldn't live. And there's no end date. He keeps living. 
So, and thriving and um, his behaviors almost increase and the intensity almost increases. So I don't know if people know what to do with that. Like, do we have to help her forever? And it sort of almost makes them look inward. And I think it's easier just to ignore the pain of families like ours because you don't know where to start for one. These can be, and I'm putting this in air quotes, like scary kids, if you're not familiar with the special needs world. And so you're looking at this like, is, are these parents expecting me to watch their child? And no, not necessarily, just bring a meal, like offer to, you know, wash my car or do some yard work or step up in some way. It, it's not like you have to provide respite for my child. I think it's just so much that people don't even know where to begin with families like ours. And I think that's where I've tried to be a voice and just say, just do something. I mean, look at what gifts you offer. If like you're a masseuse or you cut hair, offer to come and, you know, cut the mom's hair in the privacy of her home or give her a massage or just reach out somehow. Just do something. I like that. Just do something. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be paralyzed by the big picture or feeling like you need to be the new respite worker. Just do something. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be related to the child. I think so often we're just so desperate to be seen. We are right. Just by doing something you're acknowledging to that mom or dad or family, how hard it is. And that's what we want. We, we would just, like you said, we want it to just be seen. Yeah. It's human nature. We want to be seen for our stories. Uh, so in your poem, you describe a really hard day, hard moment. What do you think moms need to hear after a really terrible day with their child? You know, I always sort of frame it, and this has only come in the past couple of years. I've had to shift my perspective a bit and view raising Lucas as holy work. The holiest work that I can do this side of eternity is caring for somebody who would not be alive without other people caring for him. And that's been a huge shift in my spirit as you know, an author and now this documentary and this podcast. And as my career kind of continues to barrel forward and who knows what, what's at the end of that, but still I'll have to rise every day and put clothes on my grown man child and kneel before him to put his socks and shoes on and walk him out to the bus and feed him. So, I mean, talk about like humility building exercises in the face of like, I don't know where this career is going to take me or even raising my son's going to take me, but raising him keeps me humble. It keeps me returning to the cross daily and laying down my desires. And I even have a sign hanging in his bedroom that says, this is holy work because I do believe that all of the other stuff I do this side of eternity pales in comparison to me being obedient to raising this child that the Lord gave me. I think that's what's going to bring the applause of heaven someday is my faithfulness to raising Luke and not necessarily all of the other stuff. It's really beautiful and it's powerful. And it's, if you can remind yourself of that after a really hard moment or a hard day, it helps 
shift your perspective. So you don't get stuck in poor me. It's okay to whine and complain and be sad and be upset and be angry or have all the feelings surrounding the difficulty in caregiving, surrounding your child's struggles or medical pain or psychological pain. We just don't want to get stuck there. Yeah. And practically speaking too, like if you can somehow, you know, shake that stress off, like have a dance party or go for a walk or do some yoga or, cause you got to get that out of your system too. It's not just like, this is holy work. I'm everything's great. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Don't squash what's real. Go outside and like get that out of your system somehow. Yes. How do we keep space for anger and grief, but not allow bitterness to take hold? What do you, you've been through so much Jess, and you are this radiant light. So how, how do you prevent that from just piling on and sticking? Um, I think it's reframing my perspective. And then daily, I go on a walk every single day. Like today, it's like zero degrees outside. And my gosh, I bundle up. Said the baby Californian. (laughs) I bundle up in my long johns and my boots. And I take my two mile walk around the neighborhood. And there's just something about that, like being a metaphor, even for life, like And today was brutal. Like there was a snowstorm and just walking through that storm, shaking off that stress. I don't bring my phone. I put my music in. I listen to praise and worship music and just plow through. I think it is like a metaphor to me. Like some days are beautiful and sunny and, you know, I get to walk in with the sun on my face and some days I'm plowing through a storm. But for me too, that is like getting that angst out of my body and for some people it might not be walking, but figure out what that is for you and like do it every single day <laughs> because you literally do need to shake that anger out, that bitterness out, that stress out, or it'll grow in you. You'll see it in your physical features. You'll see it in your mental, you know, well-being. Like it will manifest itself if it's allowed to fester for too long. I agree. Thank you for that. Before you go, Jess, I want you to tell our listeners about the documentary that you've poured your heart and soul and time and energy and effort and, oh my gosh, so much into. Tell us what's happening with it. Tell us all about it. Well, it's finished and now we are seeking out endorsers. The premiere we're thinking will be sometime this spring. Um, The Lucas Project, the nonprofit that I started, will be the first to premiere it here in Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And then we will begin distribution like on a larger scale. Not exactly sure how that's all going to work with film festivals. And I didn't realize there were like so many rules when you release a documentary. Like if the world sees it before a film festival has an opportunity to put it out there, then they don't want it anymore. So we have to be very careful with how we proceed. But yeah, I think it's, it's, hopefully going to change the world. It's exploring the mental health crisis of special needs families. It's take, you know, peeling back that curtain. The filmmaker and the producer followed my family for three years. Wow. What a commitment. Yeah. It has been a long (laughs) commitment and I think they did an absolutely beautiful job. Um, It's, you know, graceful grit that shows the nitty gritty in a very graceful, respectful way. So I hope that it really helps parent caregivers out there. 
Well, I hope that some wealthy business women or men see the documentary and say, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and we're going to help these families. <laughs> That's my hope, Jess. 100% the goal. Yep. Big goals. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll link everything that you are doing, Jess, in our show notes for sure. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your truth telling. I so admire you and respect you and wish we were neighbors, not across the country, but we'll see each other in person. Someday. Exactly. Well, thank you too. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to connect with other moms who get it, join our international tribe and sisterhood at wearebravetogether.org. And remember, always, you are not alone.